the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black, talking money. <laughs> A friend of mine does a radio show called Talking Pets. And people always go, hey, where's your talking pet? It's like, yeah. <clears throat> but I'm talking money. And uh, on good days and bad days, you kind of have to face it. It kind of comes with the territory. I'm good with it. Hopefully you're good with it. Um, we have an ugly day on Wall Street again. And I call it a buying opportunity on select stocks. You've got the SP 500 down 40, sitting down 2%. Got the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 351, sitting down 2.1%. The Nasdaq down 80, sitting down 1.5%. And it wasn't, it was not so great news out of <clears throat> China again, which the Chinese stock market is different than the Chinese economy, but we've got some information on the Chinese economy today with some of the statistics that are being released. And uh, some statistics out of Korea on exports. So we are seeing some data out there that's, I'm not going to say damning, because that's a little bit too much, but it's showing you that there's a real reason for a negative vibe. Monday was a down day for the equity market that closed out the worst month on the S&P 500 since May 2012. So that's not horrible. It's the worst month since 2012. Yeah, take the good with the bad, right? Six and a half up years, you're going to have a bad month here and there. Today is a new day and a new month. Happy September. Equities disposition remains the same, kind of uh, grumpy. You got to look far and wide to get a line on why the market stands ready to start September with such a bearish bias. Um, you have to say that literally because there's been a number of manufacturing purchase managers index PMI ratings out of Asia and Europe today that have added to the market's angst about economic growth prospects. Specifically, manufacturing PMI readings for China, Japan, India, and Italy, France, Spain, and the Eurozone have registered readings that have revealed a deceleration in reported activity from July to August. In the case of China, the government's official PMI report revealed a contraction as it slipped to a 49.7 reading 
from a 50 reading. The dividing line between expansion and contraction is 50. Anything above 50 is a, uh, a building, a positive. Anything below is cutting or a contraction. So China's August reading was the lowest in six months and the weakest reading since August 2012. The manufacturing PMI report for August, which covers smaller size firm, was revised slightly higher for China. I can't believe how much we're talking about China. Do you remember for most of the first half of this year, I'm like, I can't believe how much we're talking about Greece. Now we're, I feel the same thing about China. But South Korea reported 14.7% year-over-year decline in exports for August. Um, and that knocked markets in the Asia-Pacific region for quite a loop. That's one of the best tells on Wall Street is um, South Korea, because they do a lot of cars, they do a lot of TVs, they do a lot of you know semiconductors, phones, um, they do the manufacturing of, and the world, you know, you're seeing a contraction, what's going out? It's telling you the world's not eating it, per se, or consuming it. Um, so is there a good catalyst in the U.S.? Not right now. Um, the ISM index for July came in at a 52.7 reading in the U.S., down from 53.5. That's good. That's fine. The construction report for July... Um, definitively positive in the United States. It's We're building a lot of stuff in the United States is the easiest way of saying that. And uh, so construction spending reaches its highest level in seven years. And that may actually be a bad thing because you might remember um, that's right about when houses started, housing prices we just overbuilt. And you probably knew a lot of people who did construction for a living or electricians who couldn't find work. Uh, U.S. construction spending in July climbed to the highest level in more than seven years, boosted by increase in building of houses, factories, and power plants. Uh, it's an adjusted annual rate of $1.08 trillion um, for the United States. That's the highest level since 2008. Uh, groundbreakings for houses, apartment complexes, and commercial centers have helped to improve the overall economic growth in the United States. Again, the United States, you can't say a lot of bad things about right now. The auto numbers came out, and we're buying cars um, in the United States at a pretty good rate of about over 17 million per new cars per year. Um, the last time the industry had a four-month streak above 17 million was back in 2006. So, and the Labor Day is still coming up, so we've got some strength coming down the road. Uh, low gas prices. I was getting some gas today, and I was surprised um, how low gas has dropped down to 3.27 a gallon, uh, which is nice. Now, other parts of the United States, it's considerably lower, but in the Bay Area, it's considerably higher. So, but low price of gas, what I was trying to get at is it'll drive people to say things like, hey, uh, I, I'm going to get that big SUV, uh, that gas guzzler per se, that may have a higher price ticket on it. Dollar Tree came up a shy on earnings expectations uh, for its second quarter and issued disappointing revenue guidance for the third quarter. Um, taking a look at Dollar Tree stock, it's obviously one of those retailers that things cost a dollar, right? And when our economy stinks, people are like, I'm going to go to the Dollar Tree to get food or <laughs> whatever it is people get at the Dollar Tree. Uh, I think it's great for like holiday cards um, but don't go grocery shopping at a Dollar Tree please 
Um, Sox had a very, very good two years, um, going from $50 a share down up to about 71. It's 52-week high is about 85. So it's a little bit off its high, you know, about 20%, which is good. Um, that creates a situation where you're getting, you're not chasing performance, um, which is something you never, ever, ever want to do, um, unless you're really comfortable. If you play the momentum game, know that when the musical chair stops, it could leave you scrambling. Freeport, McMoran, Copper, and Gold, FS, FCX, has been downgraded to neutral from buy at Citigroup, and a number of energy and material stocks are indicated lower, um, and they were lower today after having basically a two- or three-day rally. Um, so you have that. You just have people who aren't all feeling the global economic activities picking up, um, and they're worried about earnings prospects, valuations, and legitimacy of the Federal Reserve raising rates at a time like this. Remember, just yesterday, um, a Fed member came out and said, you know, we, we may still raise rates in this month. <laughs> just stop. You're teasing us at this point in time. That's what it feels like to me. Uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Next week, Apple's could potentially do something that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. Could they revolutionize TV? Because they've, apparently they've given up on the TV set. Um, and they're turning the Apple TV product from a $69 product to a $200 product. A lot of people think that they're going to be getting in basically uh, the game business. But also, it's going to have a different uh, way of connecting with your TV. So they're going to be opening up a full-fledged app store, taking it well beyond the current 60-something very carefully chosen media partners. So it'll be a full-fledged computer, or at least a full-fledged iPad in your living room. So it'll be interesting to see what they push out, a new motion-based remote, a version of the Siri Virtual Digital Assistant. Um, but the full-fledged app store is big. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. In the next 10, 20, 30 years, Asia's going to be a source of great growth around the world. Right now, it's pretty volatile. And it looks like China's coming in for a hard landing. China's tried to prop up their stock market by pledging to buy stocks. They've uh, lowered interest rates five times. They're trying to stimulate, you know, hey, that's going to be the best place to put your money. But it's not right now. So they just had their, you know, stock market closed down for August. And it wasn't pretty. It fell 12.5% in the month of August, not in its third straight month of declines. But it also started the year by shooting way high. And it just, again, it 
it shows you. Oil prices are surging um, over the past three days, and then today not so much. Um, so commodities are on back in the losing file today. Let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton, talking money, investing, and much, much more. Mr. Burton, how are you? I'm just wrestling with the mic over here. I'm good. Yeah, that whole mic thing can be kind of tricky. Um, <laughs> Apparently, it's supposed to be in front of your face when you talk. Yeah, and you're supposed to put your lips almost on the microphone yeah. usually, which is something that very few people get for quite a while. Uh, with that said, there's different microphones and there's different investment products. D- different investment products, I think, is the thing that confuses most of our listeners out there. I remember the first time I approached at age 17, 18, you know, mutual funds. I found some nice Roberts and Stevens technology mutual funds, uh, which oh, I, I talked to. those guys. Those yeah. guys were the, the greatest small mid-cap managers back in the 90s. Fantastic. And that was uh, probably my first brush with greatness, so to speak. I just talked to the information director recently from the old Roberts and Stevens funds, because uh, that's the thing I like about LinkedIn. You can kind of see where people used to work. Right, right. Look back in time and go, how was it working with Dan Niles as a tech analyst? Like, things like that. And uh I don't know. It was, it was. Is that where Dan Niles came from with Robertson Stevens? I, he did, little, what, he did some work there. Yeah. Um, he went on to be much, much bigger than that. But. Yeah, he's very forefront media tech analyst still. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because I don't think he, I, I don't see him as much as I used to. But then again, I don't watch as much financial media as I used to. Right. Uh, so I'm not watching Bloomberg as much. I'm definitely not watching CNBC as much. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit more digital financial media. Yep. So. I think a lot of people are. What, mean, are some, what are some of your sources that you go to these days? Well, we have Bloomberg terminals, which are you know very expensive, so we get a lot of data through that. Um, we've had facts set in the past, so a lot of the stuff that advisors use um, is you know more on demand. The information is there all the time. In terms of basic publications, I still love the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Uh, briefing.com, page one, open reports, one of the first things I read. I've got, you know, Bloomberg on my phone, so I'm getting all the headlines alerts on that. Um, what Bloomberg? Morning is it just the Bloomberg app? Just the Bloomberg app, yeah. Okay. I don't use that one. No, I love it. No. It's actually, for, one of the first things I do when I wake up is I have a whole bunch of alerts from Bloomberg in terms of article stories, what happened overseas, things like that. One of the things that's really interesting to me right now is, you know, the euro versus the dollar, the yen versus the dollar. Why is that interesting to you? Well, because I think that the opportunities overseas, the value is greater. The quantitative easing is just happening there where it happened five years ago here. Um, so there's a lot of potential for equity growth over there, but there's currency issues that you have to deal with. And um, so I think we're, we're taking a little break on the dollar increase, but I think the longer trend, term trend is still dollar higher. I think parity or, or even less for the euro versus the dollar. Um, but be wrong so you got to follow that trend you got to see if that 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 chart is going to continue in that direction the reason why i say that is because we own some currency hedged etfs that invest in a lot of export driven companies overseas and it's done really really well but i want to know when to take the profits those are shorter term you know six to twelve month trades versus most of my investments were through three to five year time horizons yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh i think we are in a world of quantitative easing and you do get to the point where where do you turn next as Europe accelerates it, sure, there could be a, a dollar stronger play as there could be an equity stronger play in Europe. Uh, but at some point in time, it's a, it's a currency race that, like, we're all trying to devalue. It's, it, it is pretty interesting. And, yes, it does appear that the United States is trying to change the easing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, a lot of smart people, a lot of smart people don't think it can happen. 
And that's an interesting, uh, I'm not going to say poker game, but it's interesting to watch because uh, you see billionaires, you know, coming out on financial media going, you know, we're at a top for Chinese stocks. We're at a top for U.S. stocks. We're at a top for it. And then we're going lower. We're going higher. It's like. It, it's it's tough for the average person, which, again, I come yeah. back to. Yeah. There's a lot of financial product out there, and that's one of the reasons I tell the average person, invest in your 401k, diversify it, go make love to your spouse. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you could pu- just pull up all the people that were talking about, you know, get out of the market in 2013 and how wrong they were. Or steer clear 100% of emerging market stocks or international stocks in 2014, and look what's advancing in 2015. So the the people that are all in all out the 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 big headline guys, they're just trying to make a name for themselves, be right once or twice, so they can get out there and get a little bit of traction. The, the ones to listen to are the more stead growers, the Warren Buffetts of the world, the the Bogles of Vanguard. You know, those are the guys that that get it right over the long term. Do you ever look at the Jack Bogle and go? Eh, you're a little bit too old for financial media. Like, <laughs> you're you're sounding like grandpa. Max out your 401k and go away and yep. diversify and low cost time in the market. I mean, the message is very repetitive. Yeah. But at the same time, who do you respect in any industry? It's the people that are passionate about what they do. The guy is extremely wealthy, yet he's still out yeah. there in financial media. He doesn't need to work. He doesn't he hasn't needed to work for years and years and years, but he still cares about it a lot. And he's been right. I mean, you know, people that have been a part of the market consistently and haven't tried to get in and get out, those are the ones that win. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Big Apple TV moment coming up on September 9th. It's going to be a $200-ish machine with an intriguing new motion-based remote, a version of the Siri Digital Assistant access to the App Store. After Steve Jobs left Apple in the early 90s, CEO John Scully tried to expand the company beyond the Macintosh computer with a series of failed consumer electronic devices, including portable CD players, personal digital assistants, digital cameras, set-top TV device. That device was called the Apple Interactive Television Box. It never actually made it to the market, except for a trial run in a couple thousand Disneyland hotel rooms in 1995. Um, proven that it was close to be ready for sale. It just didn't happen. Apple's box would have provided the ability to pause and rewind live TV four years before TiVo actually hit the market with that product. Um, There's been so many cracks at it. The Apple Pippin, which is a design for a video game console using the Macintosh operating system. That idea was to license the Pippin blueprints to electronic manufacturers who would actually take it to the market. Uh, So we'll see if Apple's able to pull it off next week. Slight distraction from down markets? Maybe. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. I always have a seminar coming up. Check me out at robblack.com.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money invested in more. Joining me now from briefing.com and his page one column, which starts my day, Patrick O'Hare. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hello, Rob. I'm doing fine, thanks. Nice to be back with you. Uh, good to have you. Can we just replay last Tuesday's spot? Because it, it feels about the same, right? I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, and what we've seen uh, this morning is kind of like the, the dust get kicked up again um, with respect to some disappointing economic data, um, you know, that has essentially perpetuated these concerns, really, that uh, despite the best efforts on the part of central bankers around the globe, you're still not really seeing, um, you know, a flow-through effect in sustainable uh, and strong growth. Uh, I mean, quite the opposite. Um, most of the manufacturing PMI readings uh, today essentially pointed to a deceleration, if not an outright contraction in manufacturing activity. And uh, and that's not a, an encouraging uh, thing to take in right now. So we wake up this morning and it's a really down day. Is it tied to China again? Well, it was the excuse, certainly. Um, I don't, okay. I think that uh, you know, the market participants certainly had to be cognizant that, uh, you know, that things are, are not great in China. I, I suspect that there was some some underlying hope, if you will, that, you know, the official PMI report out of China might actually surprise on the upside and, and help, you know, turn the tide of investor sentiment. But it didn't do that. It just basically uh, solidified for people that, you know, the world's second largest economy is in the midst of a slowdown. And the question is just, just how drastic will it slow? Uh, the answer seems to be unknowable um, because uh, market participants uh, can't wholly trust the data that they're getting, uh, and uh, there's a lot of sort of esoteric things surrounding China's way of doing business that make it difficult to really you know, quantify, you know, where its economy is at. Um, but uh, based on the official reports we see coming in, you can see that there is certainly a, a, a slowdown trend that has taken shape. Uh, and again, it's just the question of, you know, just how much slower will things get? And uh, and that's and you know and what type of ripple effects will that have uh, through the global economy? I saw a report out today on uh, South Korea, and their exports are basically down across the world, except for the United States. Thus, kind of validating that the world is slowing down, uh, not melting, but slowing. Uh, what do we do as investors? Do you just go completely domestic, Russell two thousand? Do you go and say, hey, now's a good time to buy Chinese stocks because they're going to come back at some point and their economy is still going to continue to grow? It's a pretty big economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot, lots of questions, I guess, lots of approaches. You know, one, one approach that doesn't always get a lot of play is, you know, is maybe you do nothing. You know, maybe uh, if you truly have that long-term mindset, you just, you know, you, you have to unfortunately – uh, digest everything that's coming at you right now, and it doesn't sound all that great, uh, but maybe, you know, you just sit there. Now, um, having said that, I think you uh, take stock of, you know, what type of cash position you need to be in, whether you need to raise funds, things like that, 
and look at the holdings you have, uh, determine, you know, where these stocks are trading uh, on a PE basis relative to a historical average. If they're significantly above that historical average, uh, then perhaps what you do is you start taking some money off the table, start trimming some of that position, uh, particularly if uh, we ultimately get into this environment where interest rates do go up, you know, and which will compress earnings prospects and, and, and valuations. And so, um, so that's, that's the type of perspective I think one needs to look at things here is, is, you know, take stock of your holdings and understand where they are relative to their historical norms. If they're, you know, in line with averages and maybe you don't have to do uh, anything, if they're below average, then, you know, perhaps now the opportunity exists to, to add to those positions. And if they're above average, then you, know, you probably want to sit there and, and uh, determine, you know, whether you're going to need to have cash in the near term and, and take something off if, uh, if that's the case. Are there any sectors that you're looking at that you're, you're salivating and telling your team, you know, maybe this is an area for us to focus on as an opportunity? Or are there any sectors that you're looking at and say, whoa, things could get a lot worse? Well, you know, if I take a very long-term perspective here, then I think that there is opportunity that's starting to avail itself within these really beaten down, you know, materials and, and energy plays. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the likes of Carl Icahn and Warren Buffett start to get a bit more involved in those spaces. And, uh, you know, their involvement doesn't by any means suggest that a bottom is in, but it might suggest on the margin that you're close to a bottom. These are long-term value-oriented uh, investors, uh, and they're starting to take some big positions in some of these beaten-down uh, names. Um, so there's some opportunity there, I think. Um, if you, again, subscribe to this view that the U.S. economy is the place to be, that you're going to see a pickup in economic activity and interest rates go up on account of that, um, you know, I've been saying that the, you know, the financial space, the regional banks, uh, stocks like that is probably a place where there is also some opportunity. Um, but clearly in this very near term, uh, what we've been seeing is the market starting to doubt uh, whether the Fed is actually going to raise rates, uh, started to doubt whether that U.S. economic acceleration argument is going to come to fruition. And you're seeing that being wrung out of some of these financial names. Uh, so the financial sector has not acted well lately, but you have to have a longer-term mindset if you're going to get involved there, I think. Um, so that's, you know, those are a few areas uh, that might hold some longer-term opportunities at this juncture. Anything else that you're working on right now? that you think could be helpful for the listeners? Well, you know, I, not that I'm working on anything specifically. It's more of what I'm waiting on specifically, and that's the employment report on Friday. Um, you know, and I'm going to be keen in, as will all market participants, really, on the hourly earnings number there uh, and whether that suggests there's been some wage excel- wage growth acceleration or not. Um, that seems to be sort of the the, the the one determinant the Federal Reserve wants to uh, key on to determine whether it wants to, you know, lift off with, Fed, with the Fed funds rate in the near term here, and it hasn't gotten any support in that line for some time now. But, uh, but that will basically determine and will lay to rest this whole argument whether the Fed's going to raise rates in September or not. Um, if it's uh, if it's a higher than expected number, then I think the, the Fed will again try to rationalize that first rate hike here in September. If it's weaker than expected, then you know I think then they're they're out of the game in terms of raising rates in September. And 
what is your thought on raising rates? Does it help the stock market, not the economy, but stock market, or does it hurt the stock market? Well, higher rates don't typically bode well for the present value of uh, future cash flows. So um, it's our opinion, essentially, that the, the Federal Reserve should not be raising rates in September uh, based on a number of factors uh, on, on the inflation side of their mandate. Um, things are not developing well there, and they cannot be reasonably confident that inflation is going to get to their 2% target here uh, in the near term anyway, or even in the medium term, based on some of those uh, inflation trends that have been unfolding. With that set out, with that out there, are we? We've been in pretty low interest rates essentially since 2001. We tried to fight back up to normal once, and we didn't quite make it. Do you think we're in an interest rate world that the new norm is now going to be between two percent and three percent for the 10-year? Because it's been a long time since it's been above three. Right. Well, that's what the the pricing seems to suggest. I mean, you know, and the the Fed has certainly been guiding to this idea that uh, the, you know, normalized rate is going to be much lower than what it has been in the past. And so you're not seeing the the 10-year react all that, you know, negatively. It's not getting out of hand by any means. And it's essentially accepting this idea that uh, the Fed funds rate is going to be low, extremely low for, for a considerable amount of time. Um, that's all subject to change with incoming data, of course, but the market right now doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in that uh, in that outlook that you're going to see a real rapid acceleration that drives a, a real rapid uh, jump in uh, in the Fed funds rate. Um, I've been doing radio a very long time, and part of the mantras, one of the mantras I've come up with is if the 10-year treasury is under 3.5-4%, you buy stocks. If it's above 3.5-4%, you buy bonds. I have to change that, don't I? Uh, potentially, yeah. You know, if this okay. is a, a secular shift that's taking place here and we're going to have lower potential growth rates around the globe, but then you're going to have, you know, a lower level of long-term interest rates and uh, and you have to, you know, adjust accordingly to that, uh, perhaps that new reality. Anything else that you want to tip in? We've got about a minute, minute and a half. Um, you know, we're clearly in a very volatile period right now, and um, what I suggested, you know, to listeners last week is, is we're going to see that volatility persist here, um, and probably more or less have you know reset this trading range, right? You know, we were stuck between twenty twenty forty and twenty one thirty throughout pretty much the entire year up until recently, and with the fallout of late and the drop in stock prices, um, you still have a market that's basically trading in line with its 15-year historical average. So it's it's got a full valuation, and the market's going to probably chop around here in a lower trading range, let's just say in the area of 1870 to 2000 um, for, for a while here until we get some clarity on what the Federal Reserve's going to do and what that ultimately means for earnings prospects, inflation, uh, and economic activity down the road. Thank you so much. Always good to have you on when the markets are volatile, especially good. It's Patrick O'Hare, Briefing.com, Chief Market Strategist. I'm Rob Black. You can find out more about Briefing.com by going to the site, Briefing.com. I'm Rob Black.
listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, anything we want to talk about? You let me know. You let me know. Um, major indices are off their lows, but it's still a pretty sloppy day. Uh, you saw last week, if you panicked and jumped out at the bottom, you saw it roar right back. I think you want to have a long-term plan that takes into account volatility. I think you always want to have at least five years uh, in the market. Otherwise, don't play it. A bear market's market goes down 20%. There have been 16 bear markets since 1929. The average one has ended in 17 months. The damage from that bear market has been completely erased within, on average, 44 months or 3.7 years. So when the markets go down, that's the time to buy because it erases that damage. There's a history of it. It's proven. It's out there. Live it, love it. Be comfortable with it. 64% of millennials agree with the statement, I'm more likely to win the lottery than receive any money from Social Security. 64%. Now, you'll hear me say, you got to max out your 401k. you got to max out your 401k. Because in retirement, Social Security is not going to be enough money. But do you have better chances of winning the lottery? No. The odds of winning the, the grand prize in the lottery is 1 in 175 million. In other words, only two Americans... Two individual Americans out of roughly 320 should expect to receive a penny from Social Security. That's silly. The program will run out of money um, in 2033, but the government will still continue to have a payroll tax, so it won't completely run out of money. It'll be living more paycheck to paycheck. It's been expected that we should expect benefits to be reduced by about 23%. So if the average American gets $16,000 a year in Social Security, that would be reduced to $12,320. Is that enough to live on? No chance. But, well, maybe if you're in, like, Tonga. Um, but it's, it's, it's not nothing. So Social Security was meant to be a supplemental retirement program, not a retirement program. Um, a lot of my friends rent because they can't afford that 10 to 20% down payment on a house. And they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're going to be the ones who are struggling the most in retirement. Saving is good. Education is good. Set yourself up for the best possible retirement by saving 10 to 20% of your income every single paycheck. Factor it in. Like, you know, when you're in college, you probably factored in beer money or maybe food, maybe food. Uh, It has to be part of your budget, 10% uh, savings. So I want to get a new car, but at the same time, I want to save a little bit more money before I do. So I write out the no car payment for the last five years. I'm good with that. Commodities and stocks around the world have swung sharply in the week since China devalued the yen. Uh, Interpreted by some as a sign that Beijing's concerned about slowing growth. They've got slowing growth. Um, So that's hurting us because you also know that South Korea is a big uh, exporter, and we're seeing their exports fall to every part of the world except United States. Um, And I should be careful not to say every part, but you get the idea. 
So you want to save early and you want to save often for your long-term future. That's the goal of this show. Um, th- only 3 in 10 millennials know how much they should be saving for retirement, and only 4 in 10 Gen Xers and boomers know the right amount. But if people are given goals, such as saving their salary by you know, 10%, they're able to get to that million-plus dollars. The more you save early, the more it compounds for you. The more you buy in a down market, the better deal you're getting. Just throwing it out there. Apple's considering original programming. According to Variety, Apple has held some preliminary conversations with holiday executives about creating its own entertainment content. The report also claims that Apple made a bid to snag the stars of BBC Auto Show Top Gear, the trio ultimately signed with Amazon, citing a high-level executive who was with the company. If Apple were to press forward with its own entertainment content, the tech giant would compete directly with Netflix, the streaming media giant leading the way of, with series like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. I think in the, down the road, just an acquisition of Netflix or Hulu. I think Hulu would be a wise move by Apple at this point in time because they certainly have the cash. Um, but Hulu is a joint venture with NBC, Fox, and ABC, as well as Amazon. Do that, get like a 10-year commitment from NBC, Fox, and ABC and Amazon. Um, and then start developing your own content would probably be the business model that works the best. Again, you can always license content as well. So they started a music service to compete with Spotify. Why not start a a, a video service to compete with Netflix? Um, And that should scare shareholders of Netflix. So 800-516-1220. Auto sales maintain a pace despite a quirk in the calendar. Uh, Typically, Labor Day, car sales are rolled back into August, even if it's in early September. But because it's kind of on the the 7th, uh, the seasonally adjusted annualized rate uh, for August stands without it. So it was pretty good, all things considered. Uh, The F-Series truck brand logged its best sales month of the year with a 4.7% increase. Trucks and SUVs are hugely important to General Motors and Ford. Cadillac brand fell 5.5%. Buick edged up six-tenths of a percent. Overall, it was a very good number and bodes well for a good year for car salespeople and the car industry in the United States. Um, would I be surprised if the market fell another 10%? I would not. So you should not be. Would I be pleased if it goes sideways for a month or two? Sure. I'm not all that stressed by this. Um, again, I like it when markets are down. Find some areas of your portfolio that need some uh, action and start buying some stocks. Over time, it'll work out for you. It rebounds in less than four years on average. I'm Rob Black talking all things, and I'm not predicting that. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.